What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Stoke Podcast, episode two. I'm super stoked to introduce Kyle Trudeau. Now, this guy is legit. He is currently one of the best cross-country mountain bikers in the country, uh, taking top five at Whiskey Off-Road. I mean, from winning uh, Bear Howard 100. I mean, this guy is beating Alex Wild in a sprint finish at the Filthy 50 uh, two weekends ago. I mean, this level of professionalism and commitment to compete at this level by Kyle is something that I admire and I'm super glad that he shared his story today. Um, we went over what it takes to train the way he does and the way uh, he commits his time and his his mindset to being the best mountain biker he can be. And before we get in there, uh, I just want to let you guys know that we here at the Verde Valley are creating a new pro team called the Confluence 928. Um, we have five riders as of now. Um, Martin Marillo, Nate Milton, we have Joe and Kristen, um, and myself. And we've been creating some headway um, in Arizona. We've been, I think, every single race we've podiumed, um, which is super cool. And we're excited to see what we can do in 2023. So I just want to let you guys know that's what we're doing. I've, if you've seen it on my Instagram, but if you guys want to follow Confluence928 on Instagram, that is Confluence underscore 928. Um, you can see what we're doing um, there. Uh, huge thanks to our sponsors, Moxie Life. Um, they've been amazing with our hydration needs, their Phytolite Light which is the electrolyte drink and also hydro mag, which is unreal for curing my cramps on big efforts and trail monos supporting the gloves. We got freshly minted socks who keep it easy breezy when you're, uh, when you're out there sweating, um, their socks are absolutely fantastic. You can find them on our Instagram page. Uh, we got Tim Allen, the realtor who is supporting the cause to help all of us you know travel and ride um, so huge thanks to Tim um, for just helping us out um, Enduro Bites they're a company in Colorado uh, I use their beat pre-workout um, it's absolutely phenomenal that's my uh, that's my vice when it came to winning the Telluride 50 um, so uh, their products are just phenomenal as well. So we have some really dope sponsors that are supporting our team and single speed coffee roasters out in Flagstaff. Um, huge shout out to Brad um, and that crew over there who are doing their best to support our racing needs as well. Um, yeah, so guys, please uh, enjoy this episode with Kyle um, and help me welcome this badass athlete his stoke is high his commitment's real um so help me introduce kyle all right welcome to the stoke podcast today i have kyle trudeau on i'm just so stoked to be talking to you um 
Kyle, you are a professional cyclist, mostly in the marathon um, discipline. Uh, this year, Kyle took second at the Cactus Cup to Riley um, with a all-out sprint. Uh, you took eighth at the Sea Otter Classic, which is a huge result. Um, second uh, in the crit at the Whiskey, which, I mean, there was so much horsepower there, so... I was yeah. in the crit too, and you guys were just <laughs> like unreal. Um, fifth overall in the whiskey, 50. Uh, first Cascade 100. You were second overall at the Pikes Peak Apex, which huge congrats. Um, first overall, Grizzly 100. That was in Big Bear. Uh, that was pretty recent, right? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, beginning of October. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, first overall at the fil Filthy 50. Um, out sprinting Alex Wild. That was recently, two weeks ago. Um, yeah. Which, going into it, I, I, it was either going to be you or Alex for sure. And I, I, I thought you could do it for, and you did. You overcame. Um, and then, so I had Samantha, your girlfriend, send me a intro um, describing things that maybe most wouldn't know about you, and I. Uh, this is from her. She says, uh, Kyle and I started dating almost three years ago. I remember seeing a picture of him and thinking, he looks like a total bro. But he had a motorcycle, and I wanted him to take me for a ride. What I've learned about Kyle over the last few years is that although he has some of the Kyle personality traits, like drinking monster and punching walls, he's one of the most genuine and kind-hearted individuals I've ever known. Most people that meet Kyle would say he's quiet and shy. But he would just say he's a really good listener, which is 100% true. There are a lot of little things people, people who are close to Kyle know about him, like how he loves cats and isn't a fan of dogs until he met me and our little pup, Mill, stole his heart. Or that he has a sleep schedule of a geriatric man in bed by 8 and up at 5 a.m. The sleep schedule was a selling point for me personally. Kyle is vegan and doesn't drink. Kyle also does not camp, although he claims he's been camping before. The only place rugged we sleep is in a Motel 6 before a race. One thing I really love about him is that even though being a professional athlete has become more about how many followers you have over athletic talent, Kyle has not strayed from who he is in an attempt to gain popularity. Unfortunately, this may, be, this may cause some misopportunity, but I think the fact that he remains focused on hard work and authenticity to further his career will hopefully be an example for future riders. Yeah, I, I, I think she nailed it on that one. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. yeah. Um, would you say you're a shy individual? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I guess, withholding until I get to know someone. I'm not too outgoing. Um, yeah, I kind of keep to myself and it's just kind of how I've always been. So I've never really thought anything different of it. Um, but yeah, every, everyone who has gotten to know me, uh, they definitely say I'm shy at, at first. Yeah. And then you just go out and, and stomp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's easy. Uh, yeah. I just kind of let the, uh, let the ride and do the talking. Which, dude, uh, I commend you for. I mean, um, 
And Kyle, the reason I wanted you on the podcast is uh, you, so this year I raced, or I lined up with you uh, at the McDowell Meltdown for MBAA, and that was like my first kind of race that I knew I was fit enough that I could keep up with the top guys, but I knew I wasn't like, I had, I didn't have the experience to, um, know how much water to drink or how much food to eat or anything like that. And I just remember off the start line, I'm like in a sixth position and you're leading and I have to pass the other four guys. So now I'm in second place and I see you climbing this hill and I'm going all out. I mean, whatever Quinn can push was I, I was pushing because I wanted to just catch you. And it's like I kept going and pushing harder and harder and harder. And you weren't, moving like you weren't coming closer if anything you were going further away and i was like there's no way he can hold this i'm at 185 beats i'm out like there's no way i can touch you and and i didn't and i didn't see you after that but i saw your tracks and i tell everyone this you there were like the, the punchy climbs at mcdowell it's like that grainy sand and mm -hmm. i can see your tracks you were throwing dirt back with every pedal stroke i could see dirt with every pedal stroke up these climbs. And that's when I was like, oh yeah, I'm cool with like maybe hopefully take like keeping second place. There's no way I'm going to catch this guy who's literally creating a rooster tail from a mountain bike. Um, so yeah, right then and there, I mean, I've, I've just always followed you and had my eye on just your results. And um, I was super stoked to see a result at whiskey 50. Um, and yeah, so thank you so much for, uh, coming on to the podcast today oh well, thanks for having me yeah yeah so. um and so <clears throat> what is it what, like what does it take to compete at that level um i mean it's it's really a lot of sacrifice like um like i've always it, it's kind of like everything you do has to revolve around like you getting faster. It, you can't like, you can't go out and train and then come back, come back after your training, eat like crap, have a few beers and then like expect to perform. It's like you go out and train, you come back, refuel, recover, go to bed that eight <laughs> or at least i do because i'm up at five to get my training in before work but yeah everything and i've really i really like have learned that the last couple of years is i need to do every everything i'm doing needs to be to like help me go faster like it needs to like increase my performance in some way um so the last couple of years kind of really 2020 during covid really really when i started i i really like cut out everything that wasn't just gonna help me perform better and it's been a process but i've been able to see some of the benefits of it this year which is awesome yeah i think everyone who's listening could probably attest that i mean you have really you've been competing, you are the top guy, you know, you're, you're the top guy. So, um, 
what is it like you're saying you're like cutting things out and kind of implementing others uh, do you have like an example of certain things that you might have like cut out uh, maybe it's training or food or uh, recovery yeah it all so I mean it a lot of stuff has been like over time but way back in like 2017 I was having some issues with some blood flow to my leg um, so back then I started I went on like an anti-inflammatory diet which was like plant-based um, turns out it was something else uh, iliac artery endofibrosis that was causing that but I felt really good when I went plant-based so since then I've pretty much been plant-based and then back in 2020 um, I really made the decision I was like well like drinking was never like a problem for me but it also wasn't like benefiting me benefiting my performance in any way so I was like all right I'm just gonna stop drinking altogether um, and so it's been almost three years and and same same with that I I mean, I would only, I would have a few glasses of wine a week or something, but cutting that out completely, I really noticed just my recovery was, was way better. You wouldn't, even after like a glass of wine before I would like wake up and be kind of groggy in the morning, but cut that out and um, really saw some benefits from it. And then Another thing is just getting, staying really consistent on a sleep schedule, which that kind of went hand in hand with cutting out drinking. Um, I really like made sure to get my quality sleep every night and like being consistent with that. It's not something you can just like, I've found you can't just, you know, have good sleep for a week and then think you're good. It's like, something that you do consistently month over month to like really see see the true benefits of it and then that's super interesting to hear because most people would expect you to say yeah i trained longer on the bike i trained trained harder on the bike um i took a rest day but hearing you completely shift almost a lifestyle for this sport um i mean takes a lot you know and uh it's really cool to hear. I mean, and cool to see, you know, because you are, you have so much horsepower, you know, but it's what you're doing off the bike um, that you're, you're getting these, uh, these gains really. Um, and would you say that it's anything else, you know? Um, so it's changing your diet, cutting out alcohol, um, and then, would be a third kind of step um i mean yeah having consistent sleep super important and then uh i mean really like getting with a good coach that you know has the same goals that you do um and really knows a pro a true process for you to reach those goals um, and listening to them. That's the thing. When I first got a coach back in like uh, uh, 2016, I'm going to be honest, I wasn't the best at listening to him. I just wanted to like 
go out and ride hard and train like just go out and ride fast every time I got on my bike but um that's definitely not uh, it's been a long learning process that in that aspect but I've gotten better and you really you really have to listen to to what your coach is telling you to do yeah that's interesting because I don't have a coach probably for the same reason that you didn't well I just want to go out and punch it every time but it's funny it's like you see my Strava and it goes one week I did really well and put in a lot of miles and then the next week I didn't put in nearly the amount of miles or quality miles but it goes like just up down up down because I think I'm killing it one week and then I'm trying to recover you know so uh what um coach do you have like what um who what's who's your coach uh jason tellis um of uh go to neck coaching nice yeah and you feel yeah and he's just kind of on the same page with you um and understands what kyle needs yeah yeah so i've been working with him since 2016 and um yeah he uh he definitely knows, like, I think more so than I do, how to how to push push me, but not go so deep to where you know it's detrimental to performance. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's really been uh, I've I've I mean, I have no complaints being coached by him. That's awesome. Um... And then I kind of want to hear about like your races this season. Um, what was your a race this year? I'm sure there were a few, but that one race you knew I need to be, I mean, and I'd Kyle needs to be at the best shape mentally, physically, spiritually ready for what race was that? Uh, that, that was whiskey off road. Um, yeah, that was my first pro race back in 2015. Um, and, you know, being from Arizona, it's, it's awesome. It's, it feels like a hometown race and it's such a huge event. So that's really my, that was really like one of my main focuses of this season. And uh, yeah, I was able to put together a really good weekend. Um, I was, I went into it uh, not when they changed the schedule because normally it was like Friday night crit, then we would have Saturday to chill and Sunday uh, the backcountry race. And um, like not, I think it was only like two months out or something, they changed the schedule and decided to do Friday night crit and then Saturday uh, the backcountry race for the pros. And so I went into it, like really just gonna noodle around in the, in the fat tire crit. Cause I was so focused on, on the uh, backcountry race, but, uh, ended up finding myself in, in that front group. I started like in the crit, I started like second to last row because <laughs> I, I decided to take like one extra warm up lap, which, you know, wasn't, wasn't the best ever. I get to the start line, everybody's like 
five layers deep. Um, so yeah, I was, I was like, well, whatever. I'm just kind of use it to keep the body open, but ended up finding myself in the, in the front group and feeling good, like halfway in. And I was like, well, I'll just, if it gets like a little too much, maybe I'll back off, but, um, I'm in a good position now. So let's see how, it, how it rolls. And then came down to that last lap and, uh, Kabush was just off the front a little bit. And, uh, I was right on Keegan's wheel the last time going up, uh, the, uh, the climb of the crit and he took off hard and it was, I, I hit, I hit like 1200 Watts just, trying to like hold on to his wheel up that climb and getting distanced. Like he was like getting a, a bike length on me and I was like, there's no way, but it was like last lap. And then we made that right hand corner and it climbed up a bit more and he just gunned it again. And it was like, I look back and there was, I mean, the whole front group was shattered. So I was like, well, we're like committed now. <laughs> I just kicked over that last hill and, ended up rolling in for a third. So Keegan got it. And then Luke came around me, uh, Luke Robenvelder, um, like on the, on the flat bit right before the finish. And, but I was stoked on that. And then, and then I had to, we had a 7am start the next morning and it was already 6.30 at night. So, you know, I'm sure you, you know, just trying to calm down after an effort like that takes hours. So I was trying to like eat a bunch of food and then laying in bed for two hours, trying to fall asleep, just thinking like, oh man, I hope I have it for the morning again. I just like can't sleep. Yeah. Your body's just trying to like calm down a little bit. And then you have the thought of, I got to race tomorrow and you're going through every scenario in your head like water okay when am i going to eat when am i going to make a move you know yeah. so dang and uh what was your secret to like calm down um really i just like i i had a lot um well my girlfriend helped a lot sam she we got back to our airbnb and she made dinner and i was like while she was making dinner i was um, putting all my nutrition together for the morning so I didn't have to think about it. And then that's like one of the things I overthink so much the night before a race is making sure I have all my nutrition and it's all ready. Um, and then also that like my bike's ready to go. Uh, so I was getting all that ready. And then so once I was done eating dinner, just I was able to like lay in bed and kind of I was just trying to like let my mind rest, um, trying not to think too much about like what I needed to do in the morning because most of it had already been done. So I just needed to like wake up in the morning, you know, do the whole uh, eat breakfast morning routine and then get on the bike and go race again. Yeah. Um, Skull Valley was probably my killer. How did you, um, and if, if people who are listening to Skull Valley, it's Skull, right? That's what it is. Yeah, Skull, Skull Valley is what it's called. Yeah, mm-hmm. you descend this road, which is amazing. Because you finally stop pedaling, you just pin it, and then you turn around, 
and then you go up it and it's averaging like 10% grade the whole time, maybe 12. Uh, and, and then when you think you're almost there, uh, you know where you came out, you pass it and then you're like, wait, (laughs) we still got to go. And you got to keep on climbing and climbing. Um, so what part, you know, what part of that race were you, that was my kind of, Oh shit, here it is. This is either make it or break it. What was your point of, um, the mental battle, right? Like the little child and you was like, Oh, you're hurting. I don't know if you can do it. <laughs> what, what part of the race is that? Yeah. Well, um, for me, I really broke that race up into, um, like three different parts because uh like my first goal was to make it like in the top five to the skull valley to to the descent um and i was willing to like go pretty hard to make it top five to there um and so once i did that um and i ended up i was in fourth me and um, Andrew Lespie um, ended up together on the climb to the Skull Valley descent and then him and I descended the whole way down to the turnaround and then my next section of the race was Skull Valley itself and I knew that or the Skull Valley climb itself and at, from like that section, my whole goal was, all right, hold position. And depending on how I was feeling, if I was with a group, maybe try to get some distance for the descent for, of uh, Sierra Prieta. Um, and Andrew and I were actually working really well together the whole way up the climb, trying to track down uh, Russell Finsterwald. He was... He was like 30, 45 seconds ahead of us the entire climb. And um, we were like, Andrew and I were both kind of on that limit. Like, we can't really push much harder. You know, it could be detrimental. Um, And we just could not catch uh, Russell. Um, And so then my, the third section of the race for me was like all of that after the Sierra Prieta descent. And then you have that whole, um, all that twisty single track that's fairly new to the, to the race within the last three years or so. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess I didn't have, I guess like breaking it up like that was just easier mentally for me because trying to like, go into the race saying I need to finish in this position it's like it can be daunting when you're you have 50 miles to go and there's 90 people you're lined up with so that was really how I approached that race yeah well that's smart too I mean I never even thought about breaking up that specific race into threes because I never even did the course so I just was trying to follow wheels the whole time, not knowing what I was getting into, which definitely, you know, take my advice. Don't do that. <laughs> you got to make sure you're, you know, know what you're getting into. Um, so I blew up. I mean, it was just, I didn't know what, 
skull even was or any of it but um yeah so kyle that like that that alone is so that feed is so impressive i mean and what was your time on the whiskey uh just over three yeah it was a a little over three hours i want to say maybe 350 320 i can't i can't remember exactly but yeah yeah just (laughs) so impressive i mean that's (laughs) averaging yeah that's that's unreal and um i want to bounce back like when when did you decide that this was your journey when did you when did you um feel like i want to i want to really commit fully to the sport of cycling and race it at the highest level? Um, yeah, I, I don't know if there was like one instance where I was like, I'm going all in on cycling and that's going to be that. I think it was kind of a progression over time. I mean, I've always been competitive my entire life. Um, I mean, I, I raced BMX when I was like five years old. Um, and then I raced motocross for a majority of my life um, from when I was about 10 till I was about 21 years old. And then um, I just, I started getting more into cycling. Um, I was talked into doing a race uh, when I was about 22 or 21, 22 by my manager at the bike shop I worked at. And uh, yeah, I really, I like kind of had a natural draw to it just because I, I love like pushing myself and finding my limits. And on the bike, it, it felt natural to, to do that. Um, coming from motocross and just growing up on bicycles my entire life. So um I kind of found I was pretty good at it quickly. Um, And then so that along with just a need to feel like I needed to like keep pushing and pushing myself. There's just this progression of, all right, I could, I've, I've done like, I've already done like this much. If I just commit more, I could take it to this next level. And then, Maybe if I just commit a little bit more, then I can even take it to another level. And so, like, over eight years or whatever, um, that's kind of how I've ended up in the point where I am now, where, yeah, every kind of everything I do kind of revolves around pushing myself and finding my limits on the bike. And the bike is a really good way to find your limit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, I, I feel like it's a great way because I can push myself so hard. And um, I mean, in motocross, I would constantly push my limits and push my limits. But a lot of the times that ends up with you crashing and crashing on a dirt bike at those speeds has some, that I, I mean, I've had a lot of injuries from that. Um, so pushing myself on a bicycle um, more like aerobically um, there's less consequence so I'm, I'm able to like 
find those like find those limits and push push my own limits and you know not end up with a broken arm or a broken leg yeah and also you do reach speeds that are pretty insane on a mountain bike so you yeah. and you're in bandex you know <laughs> with a with a helmet on so to say that it's not you know necessarily dangerous on the bike i mean it's more controllable because you don't have a throttle under your ass you know that's just yeah. and you're off um yeah. you can definitely control it and it's a lighter uh lighter two-wheeled vehicle that you can kind of maneuver a little better a little bit but yeah see so, you, so you've just always been on a bike yeah yeah i mean i i was three years old when i started riding a bike without training wheels and I've just always been drawn to racing and bicycles in general. So there's, yeah. I've just never known anything else. Yeah. And um, are you currently working at a bike shop now? Yeah. Yeah. I'm the service manager at a shop here in Tucson called Oro Valley Bicycle. Nice. And uh, balancing training and work um, – you know, that's an excuse for a lot of people is, well, I can never get to that level. I mean, I, I have a full-time job or um, life life is too busy right now. I I can't go on a ride today. Um, how, how have you managed to put in the time and the miles to stay aerobically fit, disregarding everything else, your diet, your regimen, um, but how, how do you kind of manage that relationship with Sam relationship with a professional athlete lifestyle, and then also, you know, to make a living. Um, yeah, it takes a lot of, um, prioritization, I'd say. Um, I mean, a lot of early mornings, uh, especially like, all I kind of prioritize my day, like wake up, get the training done and then um, do it like no matter however much training I have to get done, you kind of go backwards from when I have to be to work. And, you know, sometimes that's being on the bike at 5 a.m. so I can ride five or six hours and then go to work for six hours. And yeah, those days get really long. Um, but going in into each day with a plan and uh really being focused on each activity as um as you like as you're doing it and not be distracted by oh i need to i'm riding but thinking about like something other than riding it's like i'm riding now so that's my time to get my training in and then once i'm done then you move on to the next thing and like your focus is there. So, um, it, it, yeah, it's really just going into each day kind of with a, with a plan and just following it through it. Um, yeah, I guess that's about it. Yeah. And like to stay present on the bike, that's super yeah. interesting when you're on the bike and you're training, you're really focusing on being on the bike in training. And so, you know, when the mind wanders, kind of coming back to almost stay at this power. Like, wh yeah. what what does that look like to you? 
Uh, I mean, the training, it can be different each day, but um, yeah, not getting, you know, if, if the day is just an endurance ride, um, staying present, present on the bike and not getting distracted by, you know, a Strava K1 that you might be passing um, <laughs> and pushing, you know, outside of your, outside of the zone you're supposed to be in. Um, but um, yeah, it's just really, really staying present and not, not worrying about the ne next task until, you know, it's, it's time to, to be, be at that task. Yeah. Because if you're consistently thinking about work when you're on the bike, when you're at work thinking about dinner, when you're, you know, yeah. at work, it would be mentally draining. I don't exactly. know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah you, so that's interesting. Just staying present on the bike and knowing this is where I'm at, going to work. This is where I'm at, going home. This is where I'm at. That way tomorrow is that new fresh day because you're not consistently worrying about, God, I got a four hour ride in zone three tomorrow, you know, or, Oh, that stupid guy with the e-bike came in. I got to <laughs> deal with that tomorrow. <laughs> you know, yeah. not saying e-bikes are stupid. You know, that was an analogy for whoever brought that e-bike in <laughs> yeah. that guy. Um, but, uh, no, it's, that's really cool to hear. Um, and prioritization is huge to kind of stay at that level. And I'm, I'm where you were at 21, you know, just getting into the sport, finding how you can uh, build fitness and what life looks like once you have a new job and how do you make money? Cause I'm not at your level, you know, um, I can race with them, but I'm not at Kyle Trudeau, Keegan Swenson, you know, I'm not at that level. Right. So for me, the motivation is hard sometimes to just be like, huh, will I ever get to that level while my life is still evolving? Right. Um, because it could be a selfish sport at times. Um, and so do you find support from your friends and family? Uh, so you never have that kind of burden. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, my girlfriend, um, she's great. She's, especially the past couple of years, traveled. I, I mean, I can't even, there hasn't been probably four races that I've done in the past year that she hasn't been there supporting me at. Um, and a lot of the times it's her riding to the middle of nowhere to hand me a water bottle and but it's like small stuff like that can be so big and uh and then yeah my my family too they've always been supportive of back when i was racing motocross um motocross was just kind of a family thing we did so my whole family would always be at the races and then when i took up cycling um i mean they they show up and support me at races too, cycling races now. So it, yeah, it, I mean, that really helps. I couldn't imagine, you know, having people around me that weren't supportive in, you know, my endeavors like that. Cool. That's, that's, 
that's good to hear. I mean, um, cause cycling is not the funnest sport to watch. <laughs> yeah. I you know, that. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it really, so fun to race. Yeah. You really have to like know what the athletes are going through to like, um, to like, uh, I can't think of the word right now, but to appreciate, you know, yeah, to appreciate, you know, the, the racing. Yeah. Cause you know, Kenzie's like, yeah, no, I, I love going to your races, but I say, okay, bye. <laughs> and I figure something to do for three and a half hours yeah. and then hope that, you know, nothing happened to you. And then you come in at the, you know, the time I think you're going to come in three and a half hours later. So, yeah. but it is such a sport where as an athlete, from the time that gun goes off, you are fully ecstatic. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. every pedal stroke is accounted for every move in front of you. The trail is consistently changing and you're adapting to it. You're always fear- feeling like, okay, my heart rate's at this or my, my body feels like this. I can go harder or, ooh, my body feels like it's going to explode. I should kind of let off the gas a little bit. You're never bored. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, so I commend the people who can support, you know, their, their partners who race bikes because it is, it can be hard. It's a very boring sport to watch. Um, if there's not a drone or a film crew and you can't log in and live stream and off YouTube and you're there watching it in person, you know, it could be, um, it's not NASCAR where you can see him go around a circle. It's yeah, very, uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, just like a, a personal question for you, you know, cause I know racing is hard and it can be, um, hard on the body and, um, God, time consuming. Do you still kind of come up with fun routes? Like almost, because biking for me, it's always an adventure, you know, a training day, I'm still going out and adventuring. Um, do you still have that sense of like curiosity and adventure with the bike, even in the midst of this mindset of, I need to be as fast as I can? Yeah, definitely. Because that's a great thing about cycling too. You can accomplish, you can accomplish your training and the and the work you need to get done and have this awesome adventure and ride these roads and go to these places that you haven't before um and being able to do that you know under your own power is kind of something i i really enjoy about um cycling and and the work that goes into um competing at the level i do um so, I mean, I know my girlfriend and I, we just recently took a trip. We rode our bikes from Tucson all the way down to the border uh, in Nogales. And uh, so I, I really got to kill like two birds or three birds with one stone. And I got to spend some awesome time with my girlfriend, got my training in and got to do an overnight um, a bike trip, which I had never actually done before. That was the first time 
she did it the first time I did it. I mean, I've done huge days on the bike, but never a point to point where, you know, I didn't end up in my own bed uh, at the end of it. So that was super awesome. Just seeing how like little you need um, for a trip like that. Like I literally packed up my bike with a frame bag. I took a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and strap, we strapped some, uh, some slides, some like flip flops onto our, onto our bikes and just took off. And, you know, it was like a little gas station tour. Um, <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was awesome. Um, I mean, something like that, we were fortunate we had really good weather. I mean, it could be, it could be pretty brutal if it was, uh, raining or something the whole time on us, but yeah, uh, that, that, that was super fun. And that's like stuff now that I'm going to be planning into my training this winter, I'm going to be doing more and more of that. Cause it was, it was really a cool, cool couple of days. Sweet. And that was your first ever overnight. You pack it and hopefully you didn't forget anything kind of trip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, our route, our route was like all on road and we went through plenty of little towns so we weren't ever like way out um with uh like out outside of civilization but but yeah like we had to we got all the way there and got all the way back just on bike with you know what what we took with which was cool that's really cool and uh does that kind of spark some interest in the future to maybe take on some big routes yeah, uh, I'm still hesitant about like the true bike packing where, you know, I got to load up my bike with 50 pounds of stuff, but definitely some of those longer routes that, um, you know, like the AZT 350 might be like, might, might be something I do in the future. Um, you can, it seems like you can do that one pretty with some pretty minimal gear gear choices um so yeah it's definitely something i'm gonna be looking into in the future yeah you gotta let me know yeah yeah. i want to i want to hear about it uh yeah because that's a whole nother world of uh athletes you know um to be in the middle of nowhere with no cell service worrying about a cougar in the bush to your left at 1 a.m. Like, that's the things I think about. It's dark, you know. Is there going to be a bear? Like, I'm done. I am now prey out here, and I got this bike that's too heavy. I can't go very fast. <laughs> so I just commend the the bike packers and um, ultra, I mean, anywhere longer than 20, 12 hours. I mean, 12 hours on a bike is kind of insane but 24 yeah. hours non-stop yeah um yeah, i just recently whole, had that's a whole dana. different world it's a whole nother world yeah dana ernst was on the podcast first episode um he did a 250 mile loop around Ferdy valley Jeez. he did it in 23 hours non-stop torn hip labrum and his stoke was so high the whole time <laughs> you know and it's just so cool to hear and hear his story um, but getting off track, um, 
yeah, bike packing is, is dope. <laughs> yeah. Um, so <clears throat> there was a few questions that um, I kind of asked around for. Um, I won't, I won't put the names in the, uh, I won't, I won't say the names. Um, but one, this is a pretty good question. Um, is there anything you've learned in racing that you'll apply to the outside world or like in an office someday? What will you take away from cycling when you aren't competing? Um, I mean, work, the work ethic is a huge part of it. Um, I mean, I know once I'm really done with racing professionally and stuff, uh, the work, like the work ethic I put into cycling, if I, you know, put that into, uh, um, like some other, uh, um, like another something else like work related, um, there's really, you can really accomplish a lot, I'd, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, 8, 8, 8 p.m., go to sleep, 5 a.m., wake <laughs> up, and instead of the bike, it's something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, was I like it. Um, that's really cool. And then uh, also, this is just my curiosity, too. You know, the way, I mean, to be at the level you are, you must have days where you have to dig deep um like you have to go into the hole basically which is where you just deplete your body of any anything any happiness on the bike you have to kind of get down and gritty where the bike might not be fun anymore um for two hours you know not that the bike won't ever be fun but has there been a specific day on the bike that you that has been the absolute hardest that is ingrained in your memory forever um i mean those days happen yeah like there's there's quite a few days like days like that um there's been some races where you know they're truly ingrained in my in my memory of like of like you've not really during like why am I doing this but after the fact I was like man if I was faced if I would have known how this was gonna turn out going and I don't know if I would have started like uh one that pops out is dawn to dusk back in like 2015 um I was I was fairly new to racing um back then and I just signed up for solo dawn to dusk, which is it, it literally, that's when it went from like sunrise to sunset. So it was about 10 hours and going into the weekend, I was expecting sunny and 60 degree temperatures cause it's in December in Phoenix, but we were faced with uh, rain and 40, 45 degree temperatures all day. And I was, I did not have the proper attire for that. Uh, I was doing the whole day and, you know, nothing but bibs and some arm warmers. And uh, I, I don't really know what kept me pushing, but I just knew if I stopped, I would not get going again. So yeah, for 10 hours, I was frozen and wet and 
I ended up with like nerve damage on my fingertips that took like months. I like, it felt like pins and needles on my fingertips for like months afterwards. Um, <laughs> and looking back, I was like, I was like, man, that <laughs> was not ideal. But, uh, yeah, if I would have known it was like that going in, I probably wouldn't have even started that day. But oh my God. I mean, you just like, you just every, everything that happens during a day like that, you just take it like one thing at a time. And then you're like, okay, I can over overcome that. Okay. I can keep going. All right, I'm going to keep going. And then like, eventually like soon you're done and like, like you're you really accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> you're shaking wet. Um, <laughs> how many, how many miles did you end up doing? Uh, I think, I think it was like 150 miles. Um, yeah. Cause I, I did, there were just under 15 mile laps, I think. And I did 11 laps that year. So ended up being right around, right around 150 miles. And you just didn't stop pedaling? Yeah, I didn't. Well, I stopped once because my hands were so cold. I, I had taken my gloves off for some reason during, because I thought that would make my hands warmer because my gloves were wet. And I was like, well, if I just take them off, then my hands will be warmer, which did not work out. And then my dad, my dad and my mom were actually supporting me in that race. And they set up like a little Mr. Buddy heater in the pit. And my dad like yelled at me to tell me to stop and warm up my hands because I had no dexterity in my hands and I couldn't even like put the glove on. My dad had to like, my dad had to take the glove and stretch it. Um, and like, I just had to like try and hold my hand as stiff as I could so he could like slip the glove over my hand and then um which is probably a good thing I probably would have really lost some feeling if I wouldn't have had those gloves the last few laps <laughs> totally and honestly I mean even if it was 40 degrees but wet you might have had some you know some danger for frostbite yeah I because like I didn't I thought my hands were like the first few days afterwards I thought my hands were still just kind of cold but then like with the feeling in my fingertips not coming back I started to get worried and I like started doing you know a bunch of like WebMD type research and shit to uh, see if it was ever going to come back and uh I from what I read they said it was like, like early it was like early signs of frostbite like it was like you know very minimal frostbite but still kind of like along the same lines. WebMD, you are yeah. four more days and you lose all fingertips. <laughs> yeah. No. They're just going to fall off. It's a dangerous rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I try to avoid uh, it now. <laughs> so, that, so that is your hardest day on the bike was 10 hours in the rain and cold, no equipment, cold. Yeah. And numb temperature. Months. yeah that was one of the harder days um just like attrition wise um back when i did marathon world championships in uh uh in italy um back in 2021 i would say just 
physically wise, that was probably the hardest day. Um, I've like never, after a race, I've never been like in so much like turmoil, just full body, like shut down. I like, I crossed that finish line and I made it about 30 feet past the finish line and just had to like sit against the barriers for almost an hour just before I could like get back up and like, you know, get, get back to our, uh, Airbnb. Dang. Just incapable of moving. Yeah. Yeah. That day was insane. We ended up, it was 75 miles, but we ended up with almost 16,000 feet of climbing on course. It was just, yeah, that, the, the attrition rate in that in that race was insane. It was like there's people just pulled over on the side of the trail. Like these are like the best guys in the world, and I was passing guys that were literally on the side of the trail, just slumped over the bike that they just couldn't move forward anymore. They were so burnt, and like luckily I I was at least able to like keep moving forward, but. Yeah, that one took a while to get oh back God. to reality from. How long did it take? Uh, it was, I think my finish time was six hours and like 45 minutes. That's still freaking impressive. I mean, with <laughs> 16,000 feet of climbing, it's almost, you, you almost did, in a, well, not almost, but halfway like to everything. Yeah. Wow. And 75 miles. So it must have just been, I mean, you get a descent and you're just automatically taking a corner and going up again, huh? Yeah, the, the, like, the descents were so steep. Like, you would get to the bottom of them so fast, you're just, like, like immediately... There, there was, like, not any time on that course where you are just able to, like, coast and chill because, like, the descents were so steep, so you had to, like, be focused. Um, and then immediately you're going right back up a climb that was like 15% or 20% pitches and stuff. My God. That just, that makes me tired even just like thinking about, <laughs> yeah. because it takes so much energy and effort to stay focused and to descend a really technical trail. So to descend like that and to not even get a dirt road or a chill wavy section where you can recover and to just go right back to probably a chunky climb where they were they pretty like just rocky and chunky yeah it was uh not so much like there was some chunky stuff but a lot of it was just really loose like the dirt there was had a lot of like it wasn't super packed in so you really had to like stay focused on keeping traction of all the climbs and they were so steep you couldn't just like you know, stand up and put power down. It was a lot of like seated, trying to keep keep traction and keep moving forward. Just keep that balance. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, that that sounds like it would be a very very difficult race. <laughs> yeah, that was probably overall the just toughest physical overall physical race. It, like. Like I've done Park City point to point um, quite a few times, and like that one before I did 
that marathon world's race, like Park City point to point, you're just so full body depleted after that race. But like, yeah, that course just took it to a whole nother level. Oh man. Yeah. Well, that's amazing that you went to worlds and you, you know, represented the United States. Was it kind of everything you imagined? Uh, yeah, it was, I mean, it was such an honor to like, it, you're just like, when you, when you get to like represent your country like that, it's like just that much more extra motivation come race day. It's like, and like the, like the course we did, we did three laps. So like each, each lap was like 25 kilometers, I guess. Um, and like, there's people like the Europeans are crazy. They like pretty much lined the entire course. They were everywhere out there. And just like, they, even they would just be chanting like, USA, USA. Like, <laughs> they, they were just stoked that everyone was there. And so like, you just, that, that along with representing the United States was just like so much motivation. That's so cool. Yeah. And yeah, because you usually on race day, like when you're racing, you don't really see many people in the United States, even at whiskey, you know, yeah. you, some of the biggest races you don't see people so i couldn't imagine like going up a climb in the middle of the mountains and seeing like a bunch of people cheering on Ooh, that's it. yeah that's yeah, really it was, cool it was it was just a whole nother world it was awesome that's awesome uh next time i'm gonna have to have you on the podcast again because i want to hear more about that experience kind of the travel i mean every, like oh. packing your bikes like how did you deal with i mean everything about it and then getting there adjusting to the time zone yeah doing your research on the course you know i kind of want to we'll dive into that yeah um, definitely that's that, yeah i can spend can spend hours talking about that race alone okay cool <laughs> we'll, we'll plan another one um yeah because we're, we're coming up on like 60 minutes that's uh, kind of where my attention span when i'm listening to podcasts <laughs> is like maxed out um yeah but like, <clears throat> I have another question from one of your one of your fans. Um, he, uh, I want to. I'm not going into detail. I won't tell any de- detail about him. But he, uh, he was curious. Um, and I know you're probably not able to share. But you know what? What are your plans for 2023 with some um, kind of support? Um. Yeah, that's definitely still up in the air. Um, where I was, uh, we had I had things lined up pretty well with CZ for next year. Um, ended up getting a call, uh, you know, beginning of October that the uh, the owners of the team were gonna go a different direction. So yeah, since then it's really been trying to put together a program um for next season yeah i mean even if i had details of it yeah i probably i I don't have any details of it right now so i can't even it's not even like i'm not saying what they are um because i still gotta figure it all out but totally yeah i mean you know racing is still racing is gonna happen no matter what so just I just don't know what uh, logos are going to be on my jersey yet. (laughs) Okay. All right. 
Um, and that's, that's only a bonus to the racing, you know? So yeah. we all know you're going to be racing. It's just, um, we heard kind of what's happening. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's sad. And we, we people want to know where Kyle's going to be. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear, I'm excited to hear what, what your plans are. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah. Um, and I ask everyone who I get on the podcast, what three guys would you want to hear? It could be anything. It could be cycling. Um, and with the Stoke podcast, I don't want to just focus on cycling. Um, I want to talk to people who have Stoke. Um, and I got, you know, some ultra runners, cyclists, uh, bike packers. It could be, I mean, anything. Three people that you would want to listen to. Oh man! And then I could get a hold of though, Kyle. You, you know, you can't be so <laughs> Keegan Swenson. I mean, I, got, I, <laughs> uh, I mean, I think uh, Kurt Kurt Rusnider could really. I I'm sure his stories are endless. Um, uh, he's always been somebody I've enjoyed hearing hearing talk. Uh, um, my coach Jason would be another good one. Yeah. Uh, Jason, Jason um, that's right. Yeah, he would be a good one to have. He's he's a he's kind of like me. Like you, when you first get to know him, he's pretty quiet and withheld. But um, yeah, you get him talking, and he he's really experienced everything there is when it comes to cycling and racing, which is cool. Cool. Um, Man, I think I might One just more. have to give you two. Just two? That's okay. <laughs> I, I can't um, think of any, any, anyone else like right off the top yeah, of Kurt, right Kurt has been on my list. Um, I raced him at Havasu, the Havasu Havoc, in BAA oh, yeah. this year. And it was 106 was the max in March. So, yeah. and so I, I was really riding with Kurt because we weren't going fast. I mean, it was like full-on suffer fest. Yeah. My water bottles were like tea. I mean, my, I wasn't sweating anymore. Like I was just to the point where I, it was dangerous. You know, I, I had yeah. to call it on lap four and he called it too, but he, there's a climb here in Cottonwood in specific. It's called 258. It's like this road climb. Um, and Kurt had the KOM forever. And it's been one of those things where I'm like, ah, I got to get it. You know, I got to get it. <laughs> and this guy, I, I looked at his ride when he got this KOM, uh-huh. and it, he started it back in Prescott. So <laughs> he had this KOM, which was really stout. And he already yeah. had 60 miles of riding in his legs. So he's just like overall, not only his adventure, but I mean, his fitness is, in, is it crazy. He's got so much power. And yeah. he's, yeah, he's so humble. And you would never know. And he'll just, he'll be like, yeah, Kyle, I'm, I'm going to take your KOM. He'll be like, good luck. And he'll be like, oh, no, I'll do it after 120 miles of riding. I'll, I'll go grab it. It's like, what? Yeah, he'd, be, he'd be able to ride from uh, Prescott down to Tucson, grab a KOM, and take a stroll back to Prescott. No yeah, problem. he had uh, Havasu, the Havasu Havoc. He rode his bike to the race, slept, wow. raced. Then the next day, or actually after the race, he got back on his bike and headed back to Prescott. Yeah, that's serious. <laughs> that's 
So yeah, I mean, this guy is ultimate bike adventurer. Yeah. His stoke is probably super high. Um, <laughs> well, Kyle, dude, I thank you so much for taking the time today to talk. And, uh, I, I do this podcast, not, um, not to try to get more followers or whatever, but to get, hear stories of people that I want to hear stories from. Um, and it's just a bonus that, you know, I get to share this story with others. If I get permission, obviously from, you know, you. So if you're oh, like, yeah. nah, let's not post that. I'll, I'll be totally <laughs> cool with that. Um, but so, yeah, I thank you. And it was really cool hearing your story and, um, and to hear what it takes to, you know, compete at your level. And I'm super excited to see where you're at next year. Um, I'm excited to line up against you. And my whole goal every race is like, don't lose sight of Kyle, which is usually around 20 minutes and then you're gone. <laughs> but next year, I'm going for 33 minutes. As I just got to see Kyle and then I'm getting faster. <laughs> I know. Um, so yeah, dude, thank you so much. And uh, I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It was great. Absolutely.